This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald. I'm the editor of the Peninsula Pulse. And today in the Bailey's Harbor studio, I have Sam Coyne. Hi, Sam. Hi. So Sam Coyne is the coordinator for the Dora County Invasive Species Team, and she works for the County of Door in the Soil and Water Conservation Department, correct? Correct. All right. So Sam, how long have you been there? I've only been there just over three years now, which is crazy. So you arrived with COVID. I did. That's right. We talked about that. I think I did a story with you when I returned, you know, during COVID 2020. So what a time to start a new job. Yeah, I got my job in December of 2019 and uh, I came in and I was just getting my feet under me and then COVID happened. I think we had one desist or Door County Invasive Species Team meeting and then we got to meet in person and it was like, I want to say the Tuesday and then the county office closed like Thursday or Friday or something crazy. So it was like, okay. And then um, everyone was just making stuff up as we went. We were trying to piece it together. Our outreach was completely shifted. Right. Um, No public things going on during that time. Right. No public things. And we were a grant funded program. And so also all of our grants, it was super weird because everyone was trying to figure out, can we hire contractors? How can we interact? How does all this work? And yeah, it was a very different time. Fun time. <laughs> yeah. So you married a Washington Island boy. I did. Jesse Coyne. Yeah. And his dad is Ken Coyne. Yep. Who owns? KK Fisk up on the island. Right. And so that is the place where you can eat lawyer. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, you can still eat lawyer. So did you return and then get the job at the County of Door? Or how, how did that work? Like, was Jesse returning and saying, I'm going back to Door County? So Jesse came back. He got a job, uh, an internship. It was an internship or a part-time job at the Door County Land Trust under their stewardship department. Oh. And we had met in grad school and I had gotten a job actually out in Minnesota. And so I was doing wetland work, threatened and endangered species work. And we were friends at the time and we were trying to figure out you know, are we into each other? Should we maybe see each other? (laughs) And it it felt like we were just, you know, trying to piece it together. And there were times when it was just, I don't know, it's just kind of like that young love thing and also like awkward friends. I don't know. And all of a sudden uh, I got a job in Chicago and then we started to really date and get together. And then I ended up getting a job in then Green Bay, like in a private sector capacity. And again, I was still doing a lot of wetland work. I was doing some invasive species work. I was doing a lot of consulting work. And then the Door County Soil and Water Office ended up having an opening. And I was like, well, I I do want to end up in Door County. I'm, hmm. I had just gotten married at the time to Jesse, and yeah, okay. and that's how I kind of stumbled in. <laughs> uh, so he was already up here. So you guys were doing the long distance marriage kind of thing. Well, to, we you were still living here, but just working in Green Bay. Yeah, yeah. So now that is the love story of Sam and Jesse. <laughs> yeah. But we are so happy that that happened, and it's interesting because. You're from Massachusetts and you went to graduate school in Massachusetts and that's yep. where Jesse went? Yeah. So okay. he did AmeriCorps. So he was doing AmeriCorps and ended up in Massachusetts during AmeriCorps. And funny enough, it, he did a lot of invasive species work, a lot of land trust work, a lot of stewardship work. And of course, he's going to listen to this and be like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't <laughs> touch on, but whatever. Um <laughs> 
Yeah. So we ended up meeting in grad school. We were in the same program and we had, we were the same focus. And so we ended up having a ton of classes together Hmm. and uh, of course getting stuck in group projects together. um, All this, you know, was great. And he was, and still is fantastic. And uh, it was very fun. (laughs) Well, that we're, we're very happy that you two met because it's always nice to have young families and especially somebody who has grown up here to return. And I know that you two just had a baby 1.7 months ago. So that (laughs) is wonderful. So, so welcome, Sam. So now we're going to talk about what it is that you do in your job. And I think that your position, it's not really been a position at the County of Door in the past, has it? Or has it just been grant funded positions only? So it's been, historically, it was a part-time position. So it was like, we're conservationists under the Door County Soil and Water Office. Okay. And so it was a conservationist who did it part-time and it was all through grant funds. And then there usually was a, a coordinator position for the Door County Invasive Species Team that was housed at different organizations. So the Ridges housed it for a little bit. A private contractor had it for a little bit. And I'm sure I'm forgetting lots of other coordinators, but I can't remember all the different groups but it was a whole bunch of the conservation groups housed this coordinator position. And when Carrie Hagenau stepped down, she was assist coordinator for 50% of her time. When she stepped down, the county reabsorbed it and was kind of going, who wants this? And it's a lot of work and it's Mm -hmm. a lot of care and feeding and it's based on these grant funds. And so your deliverables always are changing and kind of you never really know what the skill set is. And and also previous coordinators were fantastic. You know, Carrie still does a ton of invasive species work in the state and also in Door County. She's still with the Nature Conservancy, but she has a full-time position with them. That's why that name sounded familiar. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So she was... Uh, you know, she's still fantastic and very active. And then I was brought in. And at that time, the county conservationist was Erin Hansen. And she had kind of figured out within her department that we needed a full-time invasive person in the county. And A so, full-time invasive person. Can yeah. you imagine? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so insane. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and then that's how I kind of stumbled into the position that I'm in now. And it is, again, grant funded. And it's a very interesting position because we have a strategic plan. We're in the process of updating it right now. And so I base our grants off what our guiding principles are in our strategic plan and all of our partners agree to it. And once we go through this process, I then pursue grant funds. And so I have the like kind of guiding backbone of all of our partners. And then the next step of that is our grant funders saying, oh, I approve this project or I don't. And so sometimes we don't get those grant funds or we think, oh, well, this would be a great project and it doesn't get enough traction. Okay. So it's a really weird position. <laughs> so let's talk about that because the practicality of a position like yours is always searching for the funds. Yeah. And so that means if you decide, for instance, that purple loose strife is the invasive that you want to go after, then you're going to be applying for grants to be able to go after that. So some years the state might say, no, we want to focus our grant monies on this. And so you kind of have to shape your programs around even what money might be available from the state that year. Yeah. Okay. And and it's also thinking about long-term planning too, because funding structures change based on even different like federal or even state administrations on who's allowing funding for what and what's going on. And so we see times when grant funds get restricted or grant funds run out of certain programs. And so you're playing matchmaker, right, for projects. And sometimes all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have a great match for this, you know, grant fund, but 
Austin, that grant fund has been dissolved. Mm, right. And so it's really frustrating and kind of nerve wracking. Sure. You built momentum. You probably have built teams, you know, who know what they're supposed to be doing. And then suddenly it's gone. Yeah. And like long term planning. You yes. know, a lot of these grants are two year grants and you're trying to predict what your project and what your scope and capacity is going to be, you know. I'm thinking about 2025 already, which mm. is a really weird, you know, I'm in 2023, but my brain is constantly going, what's sure. going on in 2025? I'm like that every good. week. Oh okay. my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, it's already next week. What day is it? I have no idea. <laughs> <Right>? So <laughs> I, you know, everyone jokes about like, they don't know what year to write on things. Mm. I never know what year to write on right, things. because I'm like, Yeah, right. This is, I'm supposed to be here. Uh, yeah. Well, so I wanted to talk with you, Sam, because it's spring Yeah. and things are going to be growing soon after the snow on Saturday, but so <laughs> things will be growing and you have a lot of really interesting things going on right now. So yeah. I thought it would be wonderful to, first of all, build some awareness that, you know, you are in, there is a department, there is a person who coordinates this to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the most invasive species that we have up here. And then some of the programs that you have to bring awareness to that one of them really fun, which involves beer, which we will get to and a local brewer. So we'll get to that soon. But let's, you know, give us the summary version of what it is that you do in your department does. Yeah. So kind of a summary of, you know, current projects, at least for 2023, we have funding to address wild parsnip in the county. So if you have wild parsnip, it's that nasty plant that gives you the burns. It causes phytodermatitis, which sounds really fancy, but essentially it's like intense burns on your skin. Right. I remember doing a story on that. Yeah. And so if you get the sap on your skin and then it's exposed to ultraviolet light, which is basically outside. Yep. <laughs> that is the, so, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be sunny, really, per se. I mean, it's just like outside. Then Any UV light. You get burned. Yeah. And so, so that's a really nasty one. It's really tough. And that's one we see... Unfortunately, it is spread through a lot of road maintenance, soil. It spreads really easily through seeds. And that is one. It's interesting because when we talk about invasives, when we talk, because I deal with animals, fish, plants, you name it. So it's not just plants. So no. that's what, right. Yeah. So when we talk about them, we always have to look at the mechanisms of like, how do they reproduce? How do they spread? Kind of what are the drivers behind them? And wild parsnips really interesting is it spreads primarily through seed, actually only through seed, not primarily, mm. only through seed. And it's a crazy plant because the seeds are pretty heavy. So it's really spread through movement. So if you know, thinking about snowplows, right? I'm thinking about winter because we're just mm. leaving it. But as they go through an area, it can push snow, but it also gets plant material, soil, seeds, anything that's in it, and it will push it down throughout sites. And so we're seeing a lot of wild parsnips spread along right-of-ways. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a crazy plant. By snowplows. No, who yeah. would have thought that? Or mowers. Sure. We also see it, oftentimes it's spread along right-of-ways or roads, and, you know, somebody is then mowing their field or mowing their lawn even, and it gets spread even further. Or people also get it in seed, so if they get contaminated seed... It's hmm. spread a lot of different ways. Or even if you think about the treads on shoes, ATVs, snowmobiles, like anything that can drag or get, you know, little seeds in it. Right. And that's for any invasive, basically. Yeah. And so that's why those boot brushes that you see at certain land trust properties yeah. and other conservation areas around here are, you should use them. You need Absolutely. To, <laughs> right. Okay. So that's one of the primary invasives that you deal with. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the others? So uh, we deal with tea 
weasel. It's like a spiky-headed flower plant. It's used oftentimes in dried flower arrangements. It was originally introduced for carding wool, oh. which is really weird. It has some interesting history. And it's one that we don't have a ton of different populations in Door County, but we have kind of isolated different populations we're working to maintain. Mm. And so that's one if you have teasel on your property. I would love to hear about it, and I'd love to help you treat it. Okay. And then the other one we have is knotweed. So historically, we called it Japanese knotweed, but recently, as of like, it was last year, yeah, last year there was a study that came out and it was exploring the fact that most knotweeds in the state of Wisconsin are actually hybridized between Japanese and giant knotweed. Okay. And so technically it falls under bohemian knotweed, which is really weird, doesn't really matter, but so we just call it knotweed. (laughs) Okay. So we have a lot of knotweed up here? We have a fair bit of knotweed. It's the kind of bamboo-y looking plant. We've been doing a fair job at controlling it, but it's again, one of the ones, if you have it, definitely reach out to me. I would love to hear about it. I'd love to help you treat it. It's one that can actually grow through cracks in cement and can grow through like foundations and kind of Mm. create some real problems. Last year, we ended up having somebody who had it growing through their garage. Oh, so, wow. yeah, okay. it, it's a nasty plant. <laughs> okay. So so then you're, let's just review those. So it's wild parsnip and knotweed and teasel. Yep. So those are three of the biggies yep. in Dora County. Okay. Is there a top five? There's one last one in that four category. So these are the four that we've historically had a lot of focus in on. Got it. And the last one in that category is non-native Phragmites. Everybody knows about Phragmites, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... What I think is really cool is that you have something interesting going on with Phragmites. Um, So let's talk about that. What what is it? So Phragmites is one of our like oldest programs, right? So non-native Phragmites kind of got the ball rolling and started really calling for this like public partnership where we were asking people if they have Phragmites, can they let us know? A whole bunch of municipalities. This was back when the lake levels were nice and low. Mm. It was taking over shorelines. We had a whole bunch of volunteers who you know, tell these horror stories if they couldn't access their beach because Phragmites was taking over. And it looks kind of like a reed. Yeah. Like it, it, we have some on our property and and I had to do a double take because it's not, it's inland. It's not on the water, but it's kind of marshy at times in that area. And I was like, I think that's Phragmites. So (laughs) it is a reed Yep, and pretty tall. Pretty tall. And it has like a fluffy seed head. Right. It's kind of pretty. Oh, it's stunning. And I yeah. there's moments when I've I've been out in the world and I've seen it in like, you know, vases people have and yeah. I'm like, oh, it's really pretty, but no. Yes, right, right. <laughs> Throw that out, burn yeah. it right now. Get rid of that. I never want right. to see that again. So did you think you had made a lot of headway or did Dora County believe that it had made a lot of headway with Phragma- Phragmites? Yeah. So there was a lot of gain made with Phragmites. So uh municipalities had passed uh, noxious weed invasive species ordinances, which is fantastic and allowed us to help address kind of these vacant landowners. So for whatever reason, a landowner might own a parcel and they may not be responsive to mailings saying, hey, you have this plant on your property. And also at this point, it had been such a headache and it's really hard when you do something on your property, but your neighbor's not addressing something. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you... How do you marry that? Like, how do you get that work to not be based on a weird, arbitrary property boundary? Sure. Right? And so a lot of gains had been made with Phragmites. And then also the lake levels rose, which 
honestly, I might have been the only person who was like, yes. <laughs> like, I was so happy. So it did eliminate. They cannot grow in water. It, they can grow in water and they spread through water. So Ooh. good and bad, right? So the reason I was celebrating is it helped kind of suffocate and buy me time. So oh. uh, again, being grant funded, it allowed us to go, okay, we have to go back to the drawing board and find the funds. So when the lake levels do lower, like we're now, what's going Experiencing on? Experiencing now, right. Yeah. Yep. That we have funds in hand to go, okay, give me all of your frag, especially while it's young and it has been recently abused by the lake. Like mm. that's the time I want to be dealing with it because we don't have these, you know, vast acres of frag along shoreline, right? Sure. Okay. Which would make it easier, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, because then you could just eradicate it that way. So, yeah. So what do you have right now? You were recently funded even by county dollars, like American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Yeah. They decided to designate a certain amount toward a new program of that yeah. they're sponsoring. Yeah, yeah. So the county... Or funding. Or, we'll yeah, call it that. The American Rescue Plan Act funds. We call them ARPA. I go by a lot of acronyms because yes. that's how I <laughs> right. live and breathe. As um, long as we describe them, we're okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so the, the ARPA funds or the American Rescue Act plan funds, mm -hmm. um, those were kind of allocated and it was in recognition and the fact that a lot of people during COVID were using these recreational and outdoor areas. So we were seeing a lot more boaters out on the lake and our inland lakes even. We were seeing a lot more kayakers in our streams. We were seeing a lot more hikers. We were seeing a lot more pressure. And with that pressure also comes kind of hand in hand potential impacts and spread of invasives. A lot more people using different trails, so snowmobile trails. And, and as we kind of talked about with the wild parsnip, Phragmites can also spread through seed, but it also spreads through rhizome. So rhizome mm. is that root material. And so that gets dragged oftentimes it's a fairly shallow rooting plant. Mm -hmm. And so all it takes is just a chunk of that rhizome and you have a new population. Mm. And so it was in recognition to the fact that we are using our outdoor spaces that much more during COVID that this project came about. And uh, it was a really interesting and really exciting time. And it still is. We ended up selecting a contractor and we have funds for five years. And then that's wonderful. Yeah. So, so <laughs> funds to, so if I call you up, so these funds can be used to eradicate Phragmites on private property. Yep. Anywhere. Anywhere. And so it just, you know, as long as it's in Door County. Right. But that being said, Kiwani also has a program. We're starting to see a lot of these programs. Kiwani's had a, one going for a little bit now. And so it's kind of nice that these efforts can also build off of each other. Sure. Because, you know, again, if you don't know, you know, the geography of Door, uh, Kiwani is our neighbor. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, well, I figure most of you probably do, but sure. it being, you know, our neighbors addressing it, then we're also a good neighbor by saying we're not going to discriminate. And also FRAG, as you noticed, it can grow in upland situations. Yes. It isn't just restricted to wet situations. And so we do have a lot of inland populations of FRAG. And historically, we had been getting, because wetland or water work, we tend to get a lot more funds for. Mm. It comes from the fact that the Clean Water Act is out there and there's a lot of investment. And that's all great things. Right. But, and we have a lot of water. Yeah, and we have a lot of water. <laughs> but it also means that oftentimes our terrestrial invasives aren't selected for funding or aren't given a chance to be treated. And so that's what we ended up seeing with our upland frag is it was allowed kind of a chance to take off because we didn't have the funds to address it. Okay. So now if I want you to come to my property and get rid of my frag, then what do I do? So you have multiple options. So there is doorinvasives.org. You can go on there. There's a permission slip. You fill it out and you can, it has like an email that you can send it to. You can also just give me a call. My direct line at the county office is 920 746 
2363. Oh my gosh, I forgot my extension. No, for a isn't second. that weird? I do that all the time. Yeah. When somebody asks me for my number on my phone, I'm like, um, oh, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you can give me a call or you can also shoot me an email. And my email's a little bit longer, but it's S K O Y E N at C O dot door dot W I dot U S. So okay. I say oftentimes go out to doorinvasives.org and you can find all the information. Okay. And is there also an app? Yeah, so there is this great app. It's called the Gledden app. And that's G-L-E-D as in Deb N. Yep. Okay. And so it stands for the Great Lakes Early Detection Network. Okay. Yeah, we were really fancy. Excellent. With, yeah, <laughs> getting fancy. Yeah. And so on the Gledden app, what's really great is it's not just for Phragmites, but it's for any invasive. It's amazing how many different invasives are on there. I mean, you have to scroll for quite a while. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you'll be able to identify every single thing on your property. Right. And also you'll probably be like, this is a lot worse than I thought. Yes. Well, right. <laughs> Once you see those things. Yes. Yeah. It turns out I'm not the best at yard parties. More people like than not, not just ask me to leave. They're like, please stop pointing out bad things. Um, <laughs> I promise right. I have friends. But, uh, so the Gledden app is a great app. What it does is if you download it on your phone, it sends kind of a GPS coordinate the information, and you also are required to take a picture. So, you know, not all of us are trained botanists. Not all of us have the the plant itch, I like to joke about, where we have to know exactly what we're looking at. <laughs> um, and so it requires you to take a picture. And by doing that, I'm actually one of the verifiers for Gledden. Okay. So I end up seeing the moment that you submit it, I get to see your record and I can see that photo. And so sometimes like we have native Phragmites as well as non-native Phragmites. And so if you send me a photo, I can go, oh, this is, you know, native or non-native. And if there is a question, also because I'm based in Door, if you're taking a picture of something in like, I don't know, Texas or something, I'm not going to go check it. Mm -hmm. But if it's in Door County, I can also go out and say, hey, I want to, you know, take a peek. Or also, if it's not me being the verifier for that record, another verifier can say, hey, can you get another picture or is there another option? So even if it's in your backyard and you don't want me showing up to take a peek, you can easily just resubmit a photo and verifiers can take a peek and say, oh, this is exactly what this is. Okay. So there is no excuse for anybody who has Phragmites in their yard in Dora County right. <laughs> to have it anymore, not with this program exactly. I mean, for the next five years. So if I fill out that form online, what is the, what is the response time, would you say? So typically what you do is when you submit it, you know, you can so it depends on if you're asking for like an extra request. Sometimes I have people who ask, hey, I have additional populations. So they'll send me sometimes like a hand-drawn map or they'll send, you know, I can almost decipher anything oh. at this point. Like it's pretty good. I've gotten really That's good at it. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I've had someone before send me a square with just red dots in it. And I've had to figure out what those red dots meant and what the square was. And I figured out it was their parcel boundaries. <laughs> it was pretty, I got really good. I got fancy. Okay. But, so essentially, like, as long as you can give me something, so even GPS coordinates, something, I can usually figure it out and we add it to our map. And I'll usually respond back with something. Hopefully it's not a question, but if you do get a question, it's never accusatory. It's always like, hey, can I get some extra clarification sure. on, you know, you said the southeast corner you know, which Southeast corner, you know, whatever. So it's, you usually get some sort of feedback or something from me. And then what's great is, so we have a contractor already lined up. So once you sign the form, it's essentially giving permission for us to essentially send out a contractor to your property. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So it's very, and the contractor goes out 
late August, September-ish, and it's all based on plant phenology. So essentially, when is the plant most receptive to the ah, herbicide? I see. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's not a matter of quick response. It's a matter of appropriate response. Yes. Okay. So uh, we found, and DeSist has been doing this for a while, and all of our partners do too, is we like to treat when we are going to have the greatest likelihood of success. So we are never applying herbicide just to apply herbicide, right? We're going to be making the most amount of gains we can based on current research. And so we always are, I feel like I'm constantly in state and, you know, college meetings and hearing about current research and our methods are always changing slightly. You know, we're learning a lot more. Also our state and federal partners are learning a lot more and there's a lot of considerations. So we also look into where there are like federally and state listed species. So we might change what herbicides we use or what techniques we even use based on location of other known populations that we want to really make sure we're making a concerted effort to protect. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. So another thing I wanted to talk about, because this is, this is kind of a unique thing that I saw in your newsletter, unique to non-botanists and non-people, <laughs> the people who don't work in that. But I mean, garlic mustard is something that everybody is probably familiar with. Hopefully. And, <laughs> yes. And it doesn't seem like we're ever really going to get rid of garlic mustard. So there is a movement for herbs like this that if you can't beat it, eat it. And I've never thought of eating garlic mustard, but I didn't know it was edible. So so what are our options? If it has no if an invasive species has no natural predators, then we can become the predator. Right. So I always say like invasive species, a lot of the way we've viewed invasives has changed a lot, even from the time when I was an undergrad. And I'm not that old for people who don't know how old I am. I'm not that old. Uh, so uh, in my undergrad, it was, you know, eradication was feasible. And by the time I hit grad school and I didn't go right to grad school after undergrad, I did take a few years off. So I'm a little older. But, <laughs> uh, so one of the things that did change is the way we perceive it is invasive species. We aren't ever going to really be able to eradicate a lot of populations that are well established, like garlic mustard or even non-native Phragmites. Right. We're trying to maintain and get it to a point that it's manageable okay. and that we're allowing our native species the ability to adapt and kind of fill in the niches and the voids. And so making our system, again, more diverse with the understanding that we will never be able to get rid of these invasives, that we're going to slowly allow them, you know, our native species to kind of evolve mm -hmm. and then be able to incorporate them. Okay. So, it's, a so really it's not a matter of like eradication. I mean, that is not possible. It is not possible for majority. So there are invasives that we are handling that eradication in Door County and even in the state of Wisconsin, it is feasible. Oh, can you give me one example? Yeah. So uh, porcelain berry. 
it's a grape looking vine. Okay. And it produces berries like grape does. It even has a grape looking like leaf. Oh. But the berries are like Easter egg colored. Like they're pastel pink and pastel blue and like Really? They're wow. beautiful. It's a beautiful okay. plant. I think it's stunning. And uh, it's in Dora County? Yeah. So okay. it was my first summer here. So right after I got my position, COVID had hit. Yeah. And I had been walking around my neighborhood. I had adopted a dog. I got a COVID <laughs> dog. I did the full I did the full <laughs> COVID, you know, thing. Uh, adopted a dog and mm-hmm. uh we're walking through and um, we ended up seeing some porcelain berry in a little garden bed and also at the in time a person's garden bed like yeah. as if they were growing it yeah so oh, it was interesting s- you must be a fun neighbor oh i'm so- a terrible neighbor no <laughs> I, i'm great about many things uh, but the thing is um and so i was like a little shocked and it was a lot to digest and I, at the time, again, I am not from Wisconsin, so, and I had been fairly new to my position, and I had just been meeting my state partners, and I had just kind of been piecing this together, and at the time, I was just being introduced to Glutton, so, like, I had... I was just kind of figuring out, like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Who do I reach out to? Who right. do I talk to? And we have fantastic state partners, and I ended up reaching out to Mary Gainsburg, Amanda Smith, all these great, like, fantastic DNR partners, and they ended up helping me kind of piece together what our actions needed to be, and it needed to be this big press release because it turned out it was prohibited in the state. And Okay, it, so you didn't go knock on the person's door and say, get that out of your garden no, right now. No, okay. I was just, like, trying to figure out what I could do because we also don't, you know, our programs are voluntary. So mm. even if municipalities adopt these noxious and invasive species ordinances, it's up to the municipality to enforce them. I am, you know, meant to be a resource. I can help. I can provide information. I can help connect resources. But we are not a regulatory authority, if that makes right. sense. Oh, sure, definitely. So, um, so you don't do enforcement. I don't do so enforcement. So that's why you were stopped in your tracks during that walk with your COVID dog. <laughs> with my COVID dog, my beautiful COVID dog. Right. And so I've never seen that plant. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. So that's one example of of where you're hoping to eradicate. With a plant like garlic mustard, now you're hoping to somehow incorporate that into the landscape. And one of those ways is with eating it. Yeah. So again, we're trying to bide time. And so uh, I think a lot of people... When we think about, you know, management for these invasives, it's important to recognize, you know, management on certain levels. So if you know that you have, you're in a state natural area, let's say, or you're adjacent to a Door County Land Trust that they are working really hard to maintain garlic mustard out of because it has certain threatened and endangered species, or maybe it's a particular habitat type or something, right? So like, you know, if you're that person who has like a very important ecological property, mm-hmm. more often than not, like I live in the city. I know my property. I love my property, but it is not ecologically important. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and so when it comes to that, one of the things that you can do is go, okay, how do we handle this? And eating it, it's actually a movement. It originally started out east, and it started with them looking at there was invasive crabs, which oh. is like a really weird side story. But they were too small to actually eat, so they started looking at can they make broth with them? Can they use them for flavoring? Like, oh. how do you process them? And then it started to also be like, oh, why don't we eat plants? Why don't we just try and create this art? artificial pressure. Mm-hmm. And so garlic mustard, if you've ever crushed garlic mustard, yes. it smells like it garlic. Does. It does. <laughs> like, it certainly does. Yeah. And so people can make pestos out of it and everything else. And before you go and eat it, I would say make sure that you know 
what has happened on the property before you just go and eat something random. Like, don't go and pick your neighbor's garlic mustard because you don't know if they've applied herbicide to oh, treat gotcha. it before. Okay. Or, you know, like, or if that's their dog's pooping spot. Sure, like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So deer have not evolved to like eating garlic mustard? No. So one of the things that we see oftentimes, and this goes hand in hand with other scary topics too, but deer really don't like garlic mustard. And I was you know, joking with you before, but when I first came to Door County, I originally thought all of you guys were nuts and were trimming <laughs> your trees at a specific height. Like I really thought you guys had an OCD. Um, and then uh, my only the hardwoods, <laughs> right? Like only the maples, yeah, the oaks. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was really freaked out, and my loving husband at the time laughed at me, and then was like. No, that's deer. That's deer brows. That's a deer brows line. What's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, that's very weird and also very sad. And it is. so I don't think people realize that, yeah. like how much of a deer population we have up here and how few saplings get to turn into trees. Right. Well, and again, it goes back to, you know, even talking about garlic mustard, it's talking about predators, right? Mm -hmm. Like having that predator prey relationship and I talk about it with plants. I'm much more slow moving. So like my prey is plants, <laughs> but predator and prey relationships are really important for keeping an ecological balance. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about garlic mustard, deer don't really like eating garlic mustard. So they'll actively work to avoid it. And if you don't know much about garlic mustard, it's aliopathic, meaning that it sends out chemicals that prevent other plants from growing near it. So it continues to spread. Mm -hmm. And it also has these really tiny, tiny little mustard seeds. Mm. Uh, it is a mustard. And it spreads by, you know, shedding those seeds out and furthering the population size. And so when you have deer eating the understory actively and creating a disruption, and then you have garlic mustard actively looking to seed in that area and then outcompeting the native plants, you end up creating a dense monoculture in your understory of garlic mustard. Mm. And that's really bad. And so that's not what we want, right? Like we're right. talking about trying to make space for these native species and make space for our native ecology. Right. So that's that's a great way to describe what you talk about when you're talking about managing it and working it into the natural landscape. We don't want monoculture. I mean, right. that is not good <laughs> in any sense of the word. So no. the final thing I wanted to talk about was this really cool program that you have going on with a local brewing company. Yeah. And so you're always looking at ways to build awareness and what better way to do that than with beer <laughs> <laughs> and a beer label. So yeah. talk about this program. So this came up. It was a very interesting topic. I went to a conference and uh, Erie Brewing Company at the time, they've been doing this outreach and it's been phenomenal. And they talked about kind of the pitfalls and all the things that's been really successful. And they say, they were talking about that. If you're interested in doing this, do a pilot project because you're going to find out there might be issues, there might be successes, but you got to figure out before you you know, you got to walk before you run. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I said, oh, I really want to see if we can do this in Door County. Right. Uh, we have fantastic breweries, like all the reasons. And so I was, you know, trying to think of how do we handle this? How do I even begin approaching breweries to kind of help us disseminate invasive species information, right? Because more often than not, a lot of people I see are the same people time and time again. They've heard my messaging. They know what they're supposed to do. They, you know, there is that heavy buy-in and they are fantastic and they really help. But how do I make sure I'm reaching kind of the communities that aren't, you know, at 
crossroads or ridges or really bought into the kind of more conservation community. How That's do we, really interesting, right? Yeah. Instead of speaking to the choir all the time, of course. I mean, right. those people are interested in it, and so they're going to learn about it. How do you force this learning down <laughs> someone's throat? Right. How do you... How do you Via beer. How do you make them enjoy it? Yes, <laughs> right. right. Exactly. And so, uh, so I, Amanda Surface and her husband, Patrick, they own Starbird Brewing in Sturgeon Bay. Amanda had previously worked, actually, she was, worked at the county for seven years under in the Soil and Water Conservation Department. Perfect. And she had also worked with Dork County Invasive Species Team. So oh, she, it seemed like a really good marriage. And I went to them and I was like, hey, I have this kind of harebrained scheme. And I was kind of terrified that I would just be like, laughed out slash chased out and you know like I don't know you know when you see that's a definition of courage (laughs) so that you're afraid of it but you still did it yeah thank you thank you so uh I ended up moseying on in there and saying, hey, would you guys be interested in being our kind of guinea pig and helping us pilot this project? And they, I mean, if you know Patrick and Amanda, you're like, oh, they would never laugh. They're like very, very, very nice people and very, you know, very invested in the conservation community. And so obviously, like, they were very excited to partner. And so we were talking and I said, well, do you have, you know, a preference for species? Like, I know nothing other than this harebrained scheme. Mm-hmm. What do you guys got for me? And so we started talking about different species. And at the time, spotted lanternfly had been found in Indiana and in Michigan. Okay. And so for those of you who don't know what spotted lanternfly is, it's kind of, it looks like a moth. It's not a moth. It's a plant hopper, okay. uh, which is different than a moth. <laughs> okay. And it spreads primarily through people moving it. And it's not purposeful. It's actually they move the egg masses. And so spotted lanternfly has these like really gross looking eggs and it can lay on fabric and hard surfaces. And it was originally introduced, they think, in Pennsylvania in 2014 in a rock shipment that arrived in Pennsylvania. And it was just an egg mass at the time on rocks and nobody noticed it Mm. and ended up hatching and spotted lanternfly came out and ended up taking over. And they have a huge negative impact on a whole bunch of different trees. So um, it can be anything from a lot of our orchards. So when we think about cherries and apples, has a potential huge impact on grapes, but it also huh. has a huge impact on our native trees. So it can impact maples. Wow. Um, yeah. So it, it beaches like it, the whole gambit of things. It's, it's a really aggressive, invasive, and it's one that we're starting to see a lot of movement. And because of the impacts to the forestry, I guess the forestry industry mm-hmm. and also the impacts to our orchards and also vineyards, it's really regulated under APHIS. So okay. it's not as regulated by the states. It's actually regulated as animals and plants and trade. And so it has this, it's a little bit more of a rigorous monitored species. Okay. Because of its impact. I mean, because yeah. its potential impact. So does it fly? It kind of hops. <laughs> Like, okay. Uh, it's like Interesting. A, um, it can fly. A plant hopper. Yeah, it can like fly kind of like, I always think about it like flying like chickens can. Where, oh, you know, okay. like that so kind of like. hot flies. Yeah, hot flies. Okay. All right. I'm so it really does for. get moved by people. And yeah. probably firewood and the, uh, the firewood. same way that the Emerald Ash Borer got moved around. Yep. So okay. it's very similar. And, uh, and the thing is, unlike Emerald Ash Borer, which was really dependent on ash, this species is kind of like, hey, I'll do whatever. Right, indiscriminate. I and mean, it, that's really awful. And it can lay like, you know, the folds of like a cloth chair. So, you know, like 
I think about it of like, oh, I pull my chairs out of my garage and, you know, I'm going to put them out or if I'm going to go camping or whatever, I'm going to throw them in the back of my car. I, okay, hopefully we don't have it in Door County, but, right. you know, my behavior will change if I ever go to places with spotted lanternfly. Sure. Because it can be, like the egg masses can be on the cloth of the chairs. Okay. Well, this sounds like the perfect one to put on. I have a coaster that I'm looking at right here. Yeah. So it's on coasters, but it's also on the beer label, so right? They don't do beer labels. So oh, okay. Starboard Brewing, what's really cool about them is they are a nano brew. Oh. So they do like really, really small batches, which is why it was a really great partnership because if this went haywire, <laughs> like they could easily, it wouldn't be a heavy investment for them. Hopefully they like working with me because I have lots more dreaming and scheming for different things we can do. Okay. So what is this first? So what is the first product? What What, what is happening? Yeah. So right the, now? the first beer they're making is called the Plant Hopper Pale Ale. Oh. Yeah. I very like fancy. the alliteration. Yeah. They came up with the name. They okay. are way more crafty than I. I am. And what they're going to do is whenever you buy a plant hopper pale ale, Mm -hmm. you get a coaster and on the back of the coaster has information on, you know, spotted lanternfly, how to prevent invasive species. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's very well designed. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, people, so they'll be handing them this when they buy the beer. And so you'll get a coaster and you can choose to keep it or you could be, hey, I don't want to keep it, you know, whatever. Leave it on the table. Somebody else sees it. And also up front. So when you go and buy a beer, there will be information on if you're very kind and you really want to help out my program. There's just a sheet where you can answer questions and they're very Mm. simple questions. They're like, yes, no, you check a box, nothing crazy. But the idea is so I kind of get a feeling for what's going on and also for if we do this, and I'm hoping we do this in future, how we can look at expansion and also how, where am I failing in messaging? Mm. So it's helping kind of address all these like small nuances. And so it's just a little simple, like, I don't know, a third of a sheet or a quarter of a sheet of questions. And Mm. while you're waiting for your beer, if you'd be so kind to just Check that out would be great. Okay. And then they also have different info cards and there is an information sheet about spotted lanternfly. And so the hope is, especially as we get into our kind of tourist season, spotted lanternfly isn't, it's sort of in the Midwest. It's not very heavily established yet. And so the hope is that we can get kind of creative with our outreach, especially with our tourists and people coming in. So people start thinking about it. And it doesn't just apply to spotted lanternfly, but also there's a whole bunch of different invasives. As I said, 2014 came around and nobody was thinking anything about spotted lanternfly. Like it was not on anyone's radar. And then it just kind of showed up one day. And so one of the things that we really want people thinking about is how do we minimize our potential impacts on our community? And so so there are simple steps you can take. You know, you talked about the boot brush stations, um, cleaning your boats, you know, when you go between different water bodies. Like there are things that you can do that can make it seems like a stupid step, but you can actually make a really substantial impact. Okay. So use those boot brushes. But, <laughs> yes. And and now, when is this beer going to be available? Is it available now? April 24th. So oh very my. soon. Okay. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, you'll yeah. be able to get a plant hopper pale ale. Yeah. And in doing so, you'll be spreading the word about this very dangerous invasive species. Yeah. And uh, it should be really fun. And also give me feedback. I love feedback. All right. <laughs> so Sam, is there anything else that you want to 
wanted to talk about. We've been going for a little while now. Yeah. So, I mean, the last thing I would like to talk about is our Purple Loose Strife project. So if you are in the city of Sturgeon Bay, the thriving metropolis, if you stop by the county building, you'll meet some of Door County's newest residents. They're not here yet. I'm preparing for them. We're getting some Purple Loose Strife biocontrol beetles. They're called Gala Russella beetles. Hmm. Uh, sounds really fancy. It's nothing scary. They've been in the state of Wisconsin since 19, I think, the 1990s. So these least. are native beetles. They are not native. Oh. So they are one of the only known, well, not the only known, but they're a known predator of purple loosestrife, but they don't eat really anything else other than purple loosestrife. So they live and die by purple loosestrife, which is a really huh. weird existence. Okay. And it takes a lot for biocontrol to be you know, approved. I was going to say, they're absolutely positive that they're only going to be eating purple loosestrife. Yes. Because I know in our massive garden every year, my partner is like, oh, what bug is going to be coming up on yeah. the southern winds? Because it seems like always new bugs are coming up higher and higher north. Yeah. So they were released in, I think like 2002 or early on in the early 2000s in Door County. And for whatever reason, their jam is purple loosestrife. Wow, man. that like, is it's, really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so they're coming here. They're coming here. You're going to we're unleash gonna, them. Yeah, we're going to, we have like a little nursery. They have like two little kiddie pools okay. uh, and they'll have like a little setup. They're contained in nets, so they aren't just like free flying around. Like they are contained. It's not that scary. Are you not just going to let them go? We will let them oh, go. Okay. But I, I have to wait till I get them to their site. Otherwise, they are kind of... They'll move somewhat, like they'll move maybe a mile or two. But if it's not, if purple loosestrife's not within a mile or two, they just kind of die out. Oh, <laughs> so, oh, okay. Um, they're like extremely, not fussy, but they're particular about their food. <laughs> okay, so then you'll be, you know where you're going to be letting yeah. them loose. So Southern Door, we have a lot of purple loosestrife. It's that kind of really striking purple, like purple pinkish, it's hot pink, I usually think, but I'm. I don't know. Maybe I don't know my colors. Uh, it's like a hot pink flower and it grows in wetlands. Uh, if you are going through Brown County has a lot of really dense monocultures in their highways. So in right around like July and August, you'll be driving and you go, wow, that's really pretty. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that one particular plant, that's like a hot pink. That's purple loosestrife. Okay. And it's actually in the mint family, which is weird. But oh, yeah. And it's not purple. It's Hot pink. Yeah, it's hot pink. And so So you're gonna be letting loose beetles I on am. these populations. That's exciting. When are they arriving? So I'm still waiting to hear. I actually dug eight of the ten plants up today. So I got like really nice and muddy and had to break through some ice. It's okay. Fine. Okay. Because <laughs> you're gonna be feeding them while they're yeah. nursing, so, I guess. Yeah, while they're while they're growing up. <laughs> yes. Um so what we end up doing is so we've dug up the plants and we end up sticking them in a net and they're kind of sheltered and we allow the plants to really take off, which okay. seems very counter to what I normally want to do. But mm -hmm. so I like really allow these like purple loosestrife plants to take off. I give them a little fertilizer. I give them a whole bunch of love, okay. make sure they get the right sun. Everything an invasive species coordinator shouldn't do right. for an invasive plant. And so I allow them to take off and then I'll get a phone call. So we're working with the Green Bay Botanic Garden and they'll give me a call at some point and I don't know when. It's just going to be a random phone call I get of like, hey, Sam, you have to come down and collect some beetles with us. Oh, okay. And so, so you'll be collecting them on the purple loosestrife that is down there. Yep. So it's not like you're ordering them 
From a beetle warehouse. No. <laughs> okay. So uh, there are established populations of them already in Brown County. There's been a lot of programs in Northeast Wisconsin for many, 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 many a year. And so we're using their kind of established insectaries. Okay. Uh, and we're going to harvest a few of them and then kind of start our own little like growing situation up here in the county building. Well, not in it, but in the courtyard of the county building. Okay. And then I end up taking the plant with the net and drive it to its location and really Release them and oh. uh, hope they take off and hope that uh, next year I get to be saying, I'm going to go collect our bugs at our own insectary. Oh, that than, is very cool. Yeah. So then you'll be transferring them to other spots in Dora County. So then you'll be able to just perpetuate that. That is yeah. a really cool program. Yeah. It's All a really right. Fun so one. then you can go to the county building sometime this summer and that little atrium area yeah. um, that you can see from most parts of the administration building. So yeah. Very cool. Well, Sam, you, it sounds like you have a lot of interesting things going on in your life. Um, in your work life, definitely, um, as we've talked about now for almost 50 minutes. So, wow. Yes, I know. So it just went by so fast. But thank you so much for coming on yeah. and talking about all of these different things. I know we only touched the tip of the iceberg and you do so much more there. But thanks for being here and thanks for coming on. And again, you're listening to the Dora County Pals podcast. This is Deb Fitzgerald. I was just talking with Sam Coyne. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.